BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. My daily rant that I wrote yesterday afternoon and this morning and posted over at HartmanReport.com. The headline is The Hidden Secret Behind the Arizona Ballot Counting. The subhead is Republicans are channeling Joseph Stalin, who once suggested it doesn't matter who votes, what matters is who counts the votes. And of course, what I'm talking about is what's going on in Arizona right now. And apparently it's going to be happening soon in other states as well, where this private company is that is run by some conspiracy nuts who have never audited an election before are being brought in by by hardcore right-wing Republicans and given the ballots and asked to look them over and figure out if there was any fraud. And in Arizona, according to the only news network that is allowed inside the building is One American News, one of these far-right, you can't even call it a news network, it's a propaganda operation, you know, on behalf of the billionaire class. And they're saying, well, we're looking at some preliminary evidence, or words the effect of, looking at preliminary evidence of uh, some hanky-panky here. There's something, something skeezy, some fraud. You know, there's some history here. And you could say, oh, yeah, the Republicans, they're just trying to establish that, you know, the Democrats are up to no good. You know, the simple fact of the matter is, if you just grab some random Republican on the street and say, quick, tell me, how did Jack Kennedy win the 1960 election? Eight out of ten of them, four out of five of them will say to you, Mayor Daley stole the election for him. Right? I mean, this is like revealed truth to Republicans. They all, you know, right across the board. And I, you know, I've been hearing this my whole entire life from Republicans. Jack Kennedy stole the, Mayor Daley stole the election for JFK in 1980 in Chicago. Well, it turned out that JFK beat uh, Richard Nixon, he had, he had 303 electoral votes and, and Nixon had 219. So even if Kennedy had lost all of Illinois, forget Chicago, even if he'd lost the entire state, he still would have won the presidency. So it's BS on its face. But beyond that, the Republican Party started cranking this thing Right after the election, before Jack Kennedy was inaugurated, they said, oh, Mayor Daley gave him the election in Chicago. And so they did an audit. And they found that, no, there were no bad votes. Everything was right. And so Kennedy gets sworn into office, and a few months later, the Republicans go at it again. Kennedy stole the election. Mayor Daley did it for him. And they did a second audit that the media observed. And sure enough, Kennedy won one uh, Illinois and Chicago. No surprise. But to this day, Republicans think Kennedy lost Chicago and therefore should not have become president, even though had he lost all of Illinois, he still would have become president. But they've got this thing in their heads. And there are some people who are saying, Oh, that's what they're doing in Arizona right now. That's what they're trying to do. They, you know, they, this isn't some part of some kind of big strategic long game. This is just sore loserdom. This is victimhood. This is something that the Republican Party, and, and frankly, there are Democrats, myself included, who have felt that there were some, some skeezy things going on with elections, like in 2000 when the, the Supreme Court basically handed the election to George W. Bush. You know, I'm, st I'm still thinking, we are robbed you know, of Al Gore being president. But nonetheless, let's just say that 
you know, there are some people who think that right now what's going on with this recount in Arizona and, and soon to come to other states where it's not really a recount, there's no real press being allowed in, they're not following the rules of the state, you know, et cetera. That what's going on is they're just trying to establish this narrative so that 60 years from now, just like 60 years, you know, I mean, we're, what, 60 years on from the Kennedy election, that 60 years from now, that Republicans will sit around and say, oh, yeah, 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 that, uh, that Joe Biden became president, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, Trump actually won the election in Arizona and Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin, and, and uh, you know, it was like Mayor Daley. But I don't think that's what's going on. Because the Republicans back in that time, I mean, Richard Nixon at first thought that there was some hanky-panky in the election. He was the one who was calling for the recount, which he got. But Richard Nixon never tried to pit Americans against each other. Richard Nixon didn't say, you know, people with guns need to get out in the streets. Richard Nixon didn't invite thousands of people to the Capitol building to try to storm the Capitol during the counting of the, of the electoral count of the electoral ballots. Richard Nixon actually supported the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, and school integration, as did Dwight Eisenhower, who, ha- who was the last Republican president. Richard Nixon was his vice president. It was the official position of that policy and of both those politicians to support those things. The racists of that time were not the GOP. There were certainly a lot of racists in the GOP, but the, the outspoken racists, that was Jesse Helms, Strom Thurmond, and, and George Wallace. They were all Democrats. This was all pre-64, 65. So Richard Nixon, you know, yeah, he was venal. He was corrupt. He took bribes. He, he did shakedowns. He was an anti-Semite. He was a racist. But he at least had the common courtesy. He at least cared enough about his country that when he lost an election, he stepped down. And he said, okay, I lost the election. Jack, I wish you well. And then he came back, you know, eight years later and won. Richard Nixon served his country. He volunteered for sea duty during World War II in the Pacific Theater, which could be a death sentence. Richard Nixon volunteered for that in uniform. Can you imagine Donald Trump? Or any member of the Trump family volunteering for military service? According to Trump, anybody who volunteers for military service is a sucker. What we are looking at now is nothing like the Kennedy-Nixon debate. What we are looking at right now is the Republican Party trying to invent fraud that they can use as justification for more and more draconian laws that change the way that we vote. And not just changing the way that we vote so that black people have to stay in line for 14 hours instead of just 10 hours, or not just change the way that we vote so that you can't drop your your ballot in a drop box, or you can't even get a ballot in the mail, you've got to show up in person. Not just that. But what they've already done in at least two states, in Georgia and I believe in Arizona or, or Idaho, and is on the, you know, is being proposed now in over a dozen Republican states, is that the Secretary of State and the election professionals who year after year, basically bureaucrats who work for the government who, have, who are not political people, and make sure that the count is accurate, and everybody trusts them because everybody knows this is just what they do for a living, and it's all transparent, that those people are taken out of the process of counting votes and are being replaced by folks like this right-wing company run by conspiracy nuts who are, you know, MAGA followers in Arizona, you know, as Georgia has done. The Secretary of State no longer has a, he no longer certifies the election. It's now the legislature, and the legislature is controlled by Republicans. So they get to say, you know, we're, we're just going to throw out those votes from Atlanta. We don't like those. Nothing to stop them from doing that. What we are looking at right now is democracy itself, our republic, being torn down and replaced by an authoritarian form of government that more closely resembles Hungary or Turkey or Russia. That's what's going on. Those are the stakes. And the one thing standing in the way of that is H.R. 1, the For the People Act, now Senate Bill 1, 
which has passed the House of Representatives, and the only thing that's stopping it from passing the Senate is the filibuster. I'll tell you a little more about that on the other side of the break. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And I got to share with you an email I got from FreedomWorks about this. Okay, just to finish up that rant that I was going into, my point is that the end game here is a very different end game than Richard Nixon in 1960. Back then, it was like, okay, let's just create a, you know, a, a sense of victimhood, something that'll bring people together, a kind of shared mythology about how evil the Democrats are, so that we can all mutter to ourselves, you know, over a beer at the local bar. What we're looking at now is an attempt to end our democratic republic and replace it with a strongman oligarchy. I wrote an entire book about this. It just came out a a month or so ago, The Hidden History of American Oligarchy. It's about how we got here, how we got here uh, literally from the founding of the republic, through the Confederacy, through through the uh, stages, through the Great Depression, and through the modern era, and where it's going. And right now, there are two things that are standing in the way of Republicans ending democracy in America, which they're already doing in some states. Look at what just happened in Georgia. Election professionals will no longer be counting the vote. It's going to be up to the Georgia legislature whether or not your vote gets counted. Now, we'll see if this stands with the the current Supreme Court. It wouldn't surprise me if it does. But we are looking at the end of democracy. And the two things that are standing in the way, number one, public outrage. There's great groups like Fair Fight, Stacey Abrams group out there. There's some great groups out there that are doing their best, Public Citizen, Indivisible, Progressive Democrats of America and others who are, who are really you know, fighting the good fight. And we need to do everything we can to amplify that public outrage. But public outrage is a fickle thing. If you get a, a major natural disaster, another police killing, Uh, you know, just something that sucks up the headlines for two or three days. The Chauvin trial, for example, for five days, basically nothing else happened in America. In in fact, it was a little more than five days. Then that public outrage over the loss of democracy kind of gets set to the side. The second thing that is stopping Republicans from ending democracy in America or has the potential to stop them in their tracks is the For the People Act, HB1, SB1, Senate Bill 1. It has passed the House of Representatives. It is sitting in the Senate waiting to come out of committee so that Chuck Schumer can put it on the floor for a vote. I'm guessing that he's waiting for Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin to say that they will vote for it. And once they've got 50 votes, plus one with Kamala Harris, then the Republicans will filibuster it. And at that point, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema are going to face a very difficult decision. But we've got to get there. And the way we get there is by you calling your senator at 202-224-3121. That's the main switchboard for the Capitol building. You just call in that number, 202-224-3121. Call that number and just say, you know, I'd like to speak to the office of fill in the blank. Or I'm, I'm from Oregon. Who are my senators? Oh, Merkley and Wyden? Fine, I'll talk to Merkley. And they will connect you. And you can say, we have to have elections that we can trust. We have to have the For the People Act. We have to get dark money out of this. I got an email from FreedomWorks, the Koch-funded, founded organization that brought us the Tea Party. They were bragging about how they put Amy Coney Barrett on the Supreme Court. It says, quote, we reached over 11 million activists in support of Justice Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation. In a matter of only a few weeks, FreedomWorks reached over 9.8 million Americans on Facebook, reached over 1.4 million on Instagram, generated 500,000 peer-to-peer text messages in eight target states, and delivered 49,870 emails to the Senate, all in support of Barrett's confirmation of the U.S. Supreme Court. And now... They're turning their efforts toward blocking the For the People Act, which they complain, quote, 
would require 501c4 organizations like FreedomWorks to expose the name of donors, leaving them vulnerable to the left's cancel culture mob attacks. Right. It is way beyond time that we clean up our elections in the United States, that people have absolute confidence in their elections in the United States. As I said, this this piece today, and, and I encourage you to share it with your friends, is titled The Hidden Secret Behind the Arizona Ballot Counting. And the hidden secret is that they're trying to end democracy. This isn't just about grievance. You can share it with anybody you'd like. It's free. There's no ads, whatever. It's all over at HartmanReport.com. And we've got to be calling. We've got to be calling our senators. 202-224-3121 is the phone number for the United States Senate. A switchboard, and you can ask them for any member. We have to be active on this. We have to. Our republic is hanging by a thread. Tom Hartman here with you, picking up your phone calls here. Steve in Topanga, California. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind today? Hey, good morning, Tom. On my mind today is I want to see what you think about this. But, you know, what good are we if we're cured of the COVID virus, but we live under fascism and authoritarianism? And so my question to you is, shouldn't the Democrats uh, move forward, kill the filibuster, get the country working for the people and not money? And, you know, the Democrats, you know, I believe they got a quick plain patty cake with the Republicans. They stop bringing a knife to a gunfight. For goodness sakes, you know, the only sure possibility we have is the next two years to get something done that actually is tangible for people. Because I got a friend that I've known since childhood and he's told Trumper and everything. And I tried to talk to him. And after he got his stimulus, I I said, you know, hey, Danny, what do you think? It's got to be a dilemma for you to get the stimulus money, you know, because I know you don't like Biden and and all that kind of stuff. What are you going to do with it? And his answer was. I'm going to go out and buy a gun, and I'm going to come and shoot you, you commie. And so I've tried yeah. over and over to try to talk to him, and I, I'm just saying that for the Democrats to try to convince the Republicans to work with them and stuff, you know, they're going to do what they, like they did with Obama. And they're going to say, oh, just yeah. do this and just do, make it tweak this year. This is, this is my point, Steve. Anyway. The Republican Party is not what it was when Richard Nixon was running for office in 1960. The Republican Party is a completely different thing. In my op-ed that I wrote over at HartmanReport.com today, I talked about, I didn't read the whole thing on the air, I talked about how my dad was a Republican in 1960 in that election. I was nine years old. And my dad agreed with Richard Nixon and Dwight Eisenhower that the Civil Rights Act was a good thing, that the Voting Rights Act was a good thing, that school desegregation was a good thing. I mean, that's what Republicans believed back then. And now the Republican Party is a bunch of fascists. The Republican Party, I mean, there are a few exceptions. It's hard to say that Liz Cheney is one of the exceptions because she's a neoconservative to begin with, but, but at least she's willing to stand up to open fascism, to Trumpism. But you've got an entire party now that has been captured by, you know, my dad took me to a John Birch Society meeting. I write about this in the piece. And he said, you've got to see, these people are the real crazies. And his friend from the Model Railroad Club who took us was a member of the Michigan militia. And my dad said, you know, these guys are the real crazies. They were the fringe. Now they're the party. That's my point. Right. Well, here, the last thing is that, you know, a lot of people think that the Democrats or the Republicans haven't really worked for the common man. And what I'm saying is the Democrats have a chance, Biden has a chance to be like Roosevelt and really do something and really bring back the middle class and tangibly show, you know, the people that have been disenfranchised that it can work for them. And oh, I agree, but your entire chance, argument, Steve, hangs on having 50 votes to overturn right. the filibuster. That's why and the filibuster right has now to go. You've got, right now you've got two senators, Cinema uh, and Manchin, who are saying, I don't know about this. Well, we need a and Lyndon so, Johnson shakeup on these guys. <laughs> I Well, I'm not sure exactly what it's going to take, but I, I increasingly believe that between Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden, two politicians who two years ago, I would have told you I have, 
you know, uh, very little faith in because I, I saw them just as, you know, the, the you look up corporate Democrat in the dictionary and there they are. <laughs> but it, it, it's increasingly looking to me like these guys are actually, you know, w- wanting to get things done, willing to get things done. They're, you know, they're awake to the changing America. And, uh, you know, whether it's going to take, uh, you know, putting Manchin's arm behind his back, bend, you know, bending his arm or whether it's going to take, you know, dangling a bridge in front of him with his name on it. I don't know the answer, but we've got to get there. Thank you. Appreciate it. Marianne Faithful. Remember Marianne Faithful? Oh, my God. I'm dating my oh, She's 74. I'm, I'll, I'll be 70 in May. So she fears she may never sing again. She got COVID. And as a result of COVID, you know, she was cutting an album, and her album is now her reading poetry, her favorite poetry, Byron, Shelley, Keats, and other 19th century romantics, over background music from some of her favorites, uh, all-star cast, Warren Ellis, Nick Cave, Brian Eno. But this is just one nasty disease, this COVID thing. It's just one nasty disease. Katya in Lancaster. Oh. I wanted to ask... If I call up Fox News and ask them for every one of Tucker Carlson's sponsors, would they give me the phone numbers to them so I could call them up and tell them that I'm boycotting every single product of theirs until they get rid of that piece of garbage? I can guarantee you they will not. And I'm kind of ambivalent about advertiser boycotts as a program that's sponsored, that's supported by advertisers myself. But that said... Um, MediaMatters.org, the organization is called Media Matters for America. They led the last anti-Fox boycott uh, with some success, I think. And they would have that information. I don't know if you'll find it easily on their website or you'll have to drop a note to somebody there. It's been, it's been a week or two since I've been over at MediaMatters.org. But they're the principal let's hold Fox to account organization out there. And they're doing a very, very good job of it, or at least they, they used to do a spectacular job. I, I know they've had a real, apparently a big major cut in their, in their staff. But that's where I'd start, Katya. I don't think calling okay. Fox is going to do you any good. In fact, you might even well, get smeared at. Or... If I just call them up and tell them that I will no longer watch your show, which I can't because I'm afraid my head will explode. <laughs> I, you know, you know, we get those kind of calls and emails and things, you know, you said so-and-so and I'm never going to watch your show again, or I'm never going to listen to it again. I mean, after a while in this business, in the media business, you just kind of get used to that. It's like, that's the price of, of being on the air and the and majority of people who, th- well, what you learn is that the majority of people who say, I'm now offended and I'll never listen again, either A, we're never listening to begin with, in which case, so what? Or B, it's typically an empty threat. They will listen again. They will come back. There are some people who go away, but it's, it's a, such a small percentage that you can't program out of fear. And I can tell you that that's not just me speaking. I mean, this is just right across the board. This is the industry. But you can program out of fear of losing sponsors. So, you know, it is something to check out MediaMatters.org. I think you'll find what you're looking for there. Katya, thank you very much for the call. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I want to get into Trump derangement syndrome in just a moment. That's the rant that I wrote this morning over at Hartman Report. There are a couple of I think fairly important news stories that I want to get into as well. Number one, the special inspector general report for the reconstruction of Afghanistan. The SIGAR report just came in. And what is going on with Afghanistan's children is shocking. And you need to know about it. Uncovering the Russian stooges in America. This investigation into Rudy Giuliani looks like it's going a whole lot deeper than we thought. I say Russian stooges. What I really should be saying is, you know, former Soviet Republic oligarch stooges, because it looks like Rudy Giuliani was actually working for a billionaire in Ukraine. But I want to start with this Trump derangement syndrome. You know, they executed search warrants on Rudy Giuliani's home and, and his Park Avenue office. And they took his uh, laptop and his iPhone and his iPad and all this kind of stuff. And his lawyer came out and they said, you know, why, why are they doing this? And he says, oh, they're suffering from Trump derangement syndrome. And I'm sitting here going, yeah, <laughs> you know, me too. There's a lot of us who are suffering from Trump derangement syndrome. And by the way, it's normal. Now, of course, I'm using that phrase, which has no actual medical or legal meaning, to be both, I was going to say hyperbolic, but I'm really not exaggerating, but for a fact, shall we say. And also, ironically, but follow my logic here. I would say that Trump derangement syndrome is actually a sign of good and normal mental health. It means that your psychological alert system is working. It means that your psychological and emotional defense systems are working. For example, in the neighborhood where I live in the northern part of Portland, we have an arsonist in our neighborhood. He has set on fire the outdoor furniture that people have next to their houses, a couple of them, and nearly lit up a house. Best guess is he's not actually trying to burn down somebody's houses. He's just like, you know, liking to set fires. But hey, there's an arsonist in our neighborhood. And then there's a thief in the neighborhood. He has broken into several houses, including one where the people were home and stolen, you know, laptops and computers and things. And Sunday, I was sitting here working and I, I can see out my window down the street that I live on. And suddenly this truck comes peeling out of one of my neighbor's driveways and just screaming down, I mean, screaming rubber, leaving rubber on the road, screaming down this, this, this 15 mile an hour residential road at must, must have been 60 miles an hour. Turns out it was this burglar guy and he's apparently graduated from stealing computers to stealing cars. And by the way, this isn't just unique to Portland. This is happening all over America right now. We've got 40 years of Reaganomics, which have gutted the middle class. You've got a serious mental health crisis going on. And it is particularly critical in many of the homeless communities. Some of them seem to be running more like, you know, little communities. Others uh, seem to have been taken over by, you know, basically the mentally ill. And this guy appears to be associated with one of the nearby homeless communities. We should be doing something about this. And I'm not talking about, you know, bringing in the police and the army. I'm talking about, you know, providing services to people. But, you know, Ronald Reagan broke that entire system and nobody has fixed it. And so, you know, like I said, this isn't just Portland. This is happening. These kinds of, quote, small crimes are happening in, in towns all over the country. And so, you know, my neighbors and I, we're all feeling a little deranged. 
<laughs> we've got we've got arsonist and burglar derangement syndrome, and we're talking to each other in email, and you know, uh, catching up with the police, and people are upgrading their security systems and stuff like that. So you know, in that in that same vein, it shouldn't surprise anybody that millions of Americans don't feel safe and do continue to feel deranged and won't feel safe until Donald Trump and his authoritarian, democracy-hating, white supremacist, gun-fetishist followers no longer play any kind of meaningful role on the American political scene, and his criminal buddies, including the rest of his crime family, have been held to account. You know, I mentioned the arsonist here. You know, I mean, just consider what Trump has done. I mean, he knew back in January how deadly this virus was. He told Bob Woodward all about it. I'm talking about a year ago, January. And he did nothing. He refused to use the Defense Production Act even to get masks and, and gowns to people working in hospitals, for God's sake. The only thing he used it for was to, it was to force black and brown people back into meatpacking plants where they were dropping like flies from COVID. As a result of Trump's incompetence and malice, a half million Americans are dead. That means that there's several million American families who are suffering, you know, who are feeling a little deranged right now. People who've lost parents and siblings and grandparents and children and neighbors and loved ones. When he could have stopped this disease, just like Australia stopped it, Taiwan stopped it, South Korea stopped it, he could have done it. He nearly started a war with a nuclear war with North Korea and then uh, went over there to kiss Kim Jong-un's uh, ass a couple of times. He sucked up to the butcher of Saudi Arabia and bragged that he had saved MBS's ass. Using that word twice there, uh, I guess uh, over the top here, but you, you get it. He, he's, he insisted that America's own intelligence agencies were lying and that Russia and other countries that were helping him get elected and were friendly to him were actually telling the truth they could do no wrong. He, he and his family have been expropriating money, taking money from pretty much anything that moves from the uh, inaugural committee right straight on through. We're now discovering massive overpayments to Trump properties around the world. He, he, he treated the emolument clause, which is a core part of our Constitution, like a joke. He conned his followers out of hundreds of millions of dollars and is continuing to con them with his election fraud big lie. He, he surrounded himself with actual criminals, actual traitors, ne'er-do-wells, and outright grifters. His guide to joy is still bent on destroying the post office, which Trump thought was going to help him win the election. Now it's, hey, let's privatize it and make some big bucks for our GOP donors. He tried to destroy Obamacare. He threw two million people off health care. He tried to destroy Medicaid and Medicare. He tore children from their parents. This is the Tom Hartman program. And several of them died. He's cranked up anti-white hate. Is there any is it any surprise we're suffering Trump derangement syndrome? The Tom Hartman program, the place where despair is not an option. Todd in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. Hey, Todd, what's on your mind today? The new laws going into effect, or maybe going into effect, that where you can run over a protester with your car. My question is, is if that goes into effect into states that have your stand your own or stand your ground laws, say Florida, where. I'm holding a gun and I'm in a protest and someone starts running people over and I shoot the driver. You're both in the right is which law wins? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I mean, that's just that's the stupidity really of the Republicans. Question. It's like uh, you're both in the right now. Yeah, this is the, that's just, the logical extension of the old NRA. You know, the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. In other words, or an armed society is a polite society. If everybody simply has the ability to inflict instant death on everybody else, then we'll all be just wonderful people. Shoot yeah, each I other. Think, I think, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think, I think you have exposed the absurdity of it, Todd. That's uh, definitely, a, oh. definitely a good one. Thanks, thanks very much for the call. That, uh, you know, five stars there. John in Los Angeles. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? 
Well, I heard you talk about Tucker Carlson and uh, what he had to say to his minions. And it stinks sort of like the January 6th social. I figure it is a social destabilization effort, just another one. There's a fight and conquer that's been going on in this country with this two-party system as well as other uh, two or three income and uh, racial group systems. It's coming to a head. Okay. So you think Tucker Carlson trying to promote social dissension or social yeah, anger is part of, you know, is part of this right-wing thing to start a, a, a war, a, a civil war? Is that what you're saying? The way to, the way to uh, destabilize any democracy, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. divide and conquer, okay? And that's yeah. what's going on here. Yeah, before the Hutus and the Tutsis in Rwanda, there were the talk radio hosts who were demonizing the various groups. Well, on, I, lost, I, lost a, I lost a bunch of good friends over the January 6th uh, people. So mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's just progressing. And, and if yeah. we don't all stick together, we're all going to fall further apart. Uh, we have to learn social responsibility again, not just personal responsibility. It's been drummed into us for the last umpteen years. Right. You and and distinguish, distinguish what's real. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. Maverick in Edmonds, Washington. Hey, Maverick, what's up? You know, Tom, real quick, what your previous caller said, we all need to stick together. It's been so long that we've all been together. I think we may have forgotten, but any of us who were adults after the September 11th event remember that there were days and maybe even weeks where the country was absolutely united. And even though it was a tragedy, there was a feeling, there was a good feeling among the citizens and all the residents of this country. So we can have that back. And we should. I wish we would. It's, it's, it's yeah. breaking my heart. The reason I called is uh, I discovered your show by accident maybe five years ago. And I really like it. I learned a lot. You've helped me quite a bit. I think I've got every single one of your hidden history books. I usually buy two and give one to somebody who I think would appreciate it. But right now, I'm pretty grumpy with you. And here's why. Every time I hear you say Fox News, I grind my teeth. I really, 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 I beseech you to consider not calling it Fox News. I can't even articulate those two words together. You could call it Fox Media, Fox Television, Fox whatever. Well, I used to, I used to call Empire. it Fox so-called news. Is that, is that the, I remember. The, the, the beginning and end of your objection, Maverick? I mean, I'm, I'm, I remember. I'm happy to call yeah. it Fox so-called news. Oh, yeah, but calling it Fox News, I, I think you're misrepresenting it. And... I don't. I know you always. Well, they're misrepresenting it. That's actually their brand name. That's their trademark. That you know, if you want people to correctly understand what you're talking about. But I, you know, I think by saying, you know, you can say Fox Noise, you can say Faux News, although that works better in print than than on the radio. But yeah, okay, Fox so-called yep. news. I, you know, I yep, I, I yep. did that for and years and years. Know, even though that's what they call it and that's what they present it, that doesn't mean you have to stay in the car with them and call it the same thing. You know. Yeah, I, I get it. Okay, <laughs> Maverick, thanks a lot for the call. And this is a, a, a real tragic story, and it's something that we are not hearing anything about in our media. We're not hearing anything. I, I, this is the first time I read about this. This is a, a military mailing list. It's for these, the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction, S-I-G-A-R. And I got this uh, yesterday. And today, Cigar released its 51st quarterly report to Congress. And I just want to share with you, I mean, they go through all the details, you know, 2,038 civilian casualties, 643 deaths, 1,300 injuries. I mean, they keep track of what's going on in the country. But here's the part that we're not hearing from or about and that I think we need to be taking very, very seriously. This does not argue for a prolonged American presence, military presence in Afghanistan, but it does argue for something being done by the world. Just listen to this. The number of Afghans requiring humanitarian assistance, and keep in mind, this is all largely, some of this is climate change, but largely this is the result 
of, you know, when Mullah Omar, who is running Afghanistan, offered to arrest Osama bin Laden and give him to George W. Bush, George said, no, I want to have a war. It's going to help me get reelected. And so we've been in Afghanistan longer than any other war in the history of the United States. So the number of Afghans requiring humanitarian assistance in 2021 has reached approximately half of Afghanistan's total estimated population. Half of their population, as many as 17 million Afghans or approximately 42% of the estimated population will likely face famine during the upcoming year as a result of drought. 16.9 million people in Afghanistan are today facing, quote, crisis and, quote, emergency levels of food insecurity, including 5.5 million people experiencing emergency levels, the second highest levels of starvation in the world. This is Afghanistan that we have been responsible for ever since George W. Bush decided that having a war there would help him get reelected in 2004. And again, back to the the SIGAR report, the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction. Almost half of Afghanistan's children under five years old are projected to face acute malnutrition this year. Half. Now, when George Herbert Walker Bush wanted to have his first little war in Iraq, I realize Iraq and Afghanistan are two different countries, but it is kind of the same, different, the same philosophy. He thought that having a little three-day war would help him get reelected in 1992. It didn't work out that way because, as his son pointed out in 1999, he only fought for three days. He should have fought longer if he wanted to get reelected. But what came out of that were the sanctions on Iraq, where we sanctioned chlorine for their water supply systems, because you can make it into poison gas, you know. And as a result of that, a half a million Iraqi children died. We now have a disaster in Iraq that goes back to George Herbert Walker Bush wanting to have a little war to get reelected, followed by his son, George W. Bush, wanting to have two little wars to get reelected. And now you have a half a million children starving. This is the Tom Hartman Program. On our watch in a country that arguably we have, if we don't control, we have tremendous influence over. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Alejandro in Miami. Hey, Alejandro, what's up? I'm just shocked with the whole thing about Tucker Carlson actually encouraging his followers to report parents who have kids with math. I mean, how stupid can that be? I mean, that's, the dumbest thing I ever heard. And I'm just thinking, you know what? I dare them to do it because here's why. So if they're claiming that kids with masks are child abuse, that's, false. that's a false police report because no reasonable person would actually think that. So if they're going to call and waste police resources on this, they should, go to, they, should, they, should get a, they should get arrested for this. I mean, they should, they should be charged with a crime because I'm that's falsely, you. you know, filing a police report. So, yeah, I'm let with them you. go, and go I, commit illegal acts like idiots. 
Yeah, and I believe that Tucker Carlson has gone beyond the limits of free speech and has treaded, is beginning anyway, to tread into that, you know, speaking, yelling fire in a crowded theater territory where, you know, at the very least, he's doing something wrong. And beyond that, you know, arguably it's uh, committing a crime. Mike in Lameda, California. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. I'm calling in support of the dental health of the gent who called who gnashes his teeth whenever the word news is linked with the bushy-tailed member of the dog family renowned for stealing chickens. To uh, <laughs> borrow, borrow a phrase from Professor Lakoff, don't think of a fox. Right. Now, the good professor, if I understand him, asserts that when we speak the negation of a lie, we're actually giving it life in the unconsciousness of the listener. And Fox Agenda was invented by Mr. Ailes. What a glorious name for such a depressing villain. To defeat the sacred cause it claims to support. Accuracy, 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 plus brevity and clarity, a.k.a. the news. Now, when you're the soul of deception, you choose a name that belies your intent and practice. And whenever we quote that fraud, we're accessories to it. So linking Fox with the practice of journalism is a far worse obscenity than any words banned by the FCC. It's an assault on the right of an electorate to be informed rather than deceived. When our TV channel asserts its right to mislead the public on facts about public health and the health of children and attacks on the 911 system, it should be stripped of the name news by every decent human being. Now, going yeah. from the teeth to the opposite end of the digestive channel, the person who launched the Fox War on Halloween by attacking children's masks his clear aim is to raise his stock by becoming the greatest downstream elementary orifice since Putin's viceroy from Queens. And we owe him not to mention his name ever, except, if need be, to call him Lace. Okay, there you go. And, and, and the previous guy, there, there we go. Mike, thank you. Thank you. You know, it's why if, if I am going to refer to that television network, generally I call it Fox so-called news. And I think the so-called sticks in our unconscious mind just as much as anything else does. Uh, I get Lakoff, but I get your point too. We'll be right back. Our book today is Cyber War, How Russian Hackers and Trolls Helped Elect a President by Kathleen Hall Jameson. This is from the introduction. Imagine a strategy memo forecasting cyber attacks by Russian hackers, trolls, and bots designed to royal social discontent and damage the electoral process of a major party U.S. presidential nominee, or if she winds up winning, sabotage her ability to govern. Guaranteed payoff, no fingerprints, no keystroke record, no contrails in the cloud. To ensure that Americans would believe that disparaging messages about her were made in the U.S., Use Bitcoin to buy space and set up virtual private networks on American servers. Distribute hacked content stolen from the accounts of her staff and associates through an intermediary, WikiLeaks. Use identity theft, stolen social security numbers and appropriated IDs to circumvent Facebook and PayPal's demand for actual names, birth dates and addresses. On platforms such as Instagram and Twitter, register under assumed names. Diffuse and amplify your attack and advocacy through posts on Facebook, tweets and retweets on Twitter, videos on YouTube, reporting and commentary on RT, blogging on Tumblr, news sharing on Reddit, and viral memes and jokes on 9gag. Add to the mix a video game called Hiltendo, in which a missile-trading Clinton figure vaporizes classified emails sought by the FBI. Employ online agitators and bots to upvote posts from imposter websites such as blackmattersus.com to the top of such subreddits as r slash the Donald and r slash Hillary for prison. Drive content to trend. To maximize the impact of your handiwork, use data analytics and search engine maximization tools built into social media platforms. To test and fuel doubts about the security of U.S. voter information, hack the electoral systems of the states. And throughout the primary and general election season, seed the notion that if Hillary Clinton were to win, she would have done so by rigging the election. 
an outcome that would repay her assaults on the legitimacy of their leader's presidency with doubts about her own. Were she instead to lose, she would no longer be a thistle in the toned torso of the hackers and trolls boss's likely boss. Every result but one produces a desirable outcome for the Kremlin. Outcome one, Clinton is off the international stage. Outcome two, she wins but can't govern effectively. Outcome three, the former Secretary of State is elected and the country simply moves on, but the sabotage nonetheless has magnified cultural tensions and functions as a pilot from which to birth later success, perhaps when she runs for a second term. The only eventuality that damages the Russian cyber soldiers and their commander-in-chief is the fourth, in which, in real time, the cyber attackers are unmasked by a vigilant intelligence community, condemned by those in both major political parties and around the world, characterized by the media as spies and saboteurs. The Russian message is blocked or labeled as Russian propaganda, and when included in media accounts, the stolen content is relentlessly tied to its Russian origins and sources. None of that, however, happened. Instead, to the surprise of the Russian masterminds, as well as both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, he won the Electoral College and with it a four-year claim on 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Although countrywide she bested him by almost 2.9 million votes, he unexpectedly captured an Electoral College majority by running the table. By the end of the evening of November 8th, Florida, as well as Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania were in his column. The ways in which Russian hacking and social media messaging altered the content of the electoral dialogue and thus contributed to Donald Trump's victory are the subjects of this book. To begin my exploration, this overview chapter will highlight key findings of the U.S. intelligence community, preview my focus on the hackers and trolls and the synergy between them, justify casting the Russian machinations as acts of cyber war, outline ways in which susceptibilities in our system of government and media structures magnified their effect, and note five presuppositions that will shape my analysis of the Russian trolls' work, and one that will guide my study of the effects of the hackers. Forming the backdrop for my inquiry are three reports on the Russian intervention of the 2016 presidential election. The October 7, 2016 statement jointly issued by the Department of Homeland Security and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence on Election Security. The January 2017 conclusion of the U.S. intelligence agencies, CIA, FBI, NSA, and the February 2018 Robert Mueller indictment of 13 of the Russians allegedly behind the social media intrusions. On a day that will live in campaign lore, as much for what didn't happen as what did, more on that in a moment, the first of the three revealed the following. The U.S. intelligence community is confident that the Russian government directed the recent compromises of email from U.S. persons and institutions, including the U.S. political organizations. The recent disclosures of alleged hacked emails on sites like DCLeaks.com and WikiLeaks and by the Guccifer 2.0 online persona are consistent with the methods and motives of Russian-directed efforts. These thefts and disclosures were intended to interfere with the U.S. election process. Such activity is not new to Moscow. The Russians have used similar tactics and techniques across Europe and Eurasia, for example, to affect public opinion there. We believe, based on the scope and sensitivity of these reports, that only Russia's senior-most officials could have authorized these activities. That's from the report. The next report put a name to one of those senior-most officials and specified an intended beneficiary, Donald Trump. Cyber War is the book. And welcome back. Alan in Tucson, Arizona on line four. Hey, Alan, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Seriously, uh, this is going to sound like a snowflake point, and uh, I literally couldn't love you more if you were my older brother. But, um, but the description of but but the description of mentally ill Republicans, I think that's really unfair to the mentally ill, because <laughs> uh, you know there's enough stigma against this, and like I said, it sounds kind of like a snowflake point. But you know I'm mentally ill and uh, have been my entire life, and hatred. Zealotry and fanaticism, sedition, ignorance, ascribing to conspiracy theories, which have no basis in fact, that's not a mental illness. Well, it is if it's based in paranoia. Okay, you have a point. But, and I think a lot um, of it is. And it's a feedback loop. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm not calling Repo- Republicans who subscribe to these theories mentally ill as a way of slurring them. I'm dead serious. I when I look at billionaires who are willing to destroy the planet just to make an extra billion dollars when there's no way they could spend the billions that they already have. The only conclusion I can come to is that this is a person who has such a severe case of obsessive compulsive disorder, a mental illness, and their obsession is money. Well, it's it's that too, because they're willing to kill people. But you're you're combining their sociopathic tendencies with their OCD. Well, you could say it's a personality disorder, but I'd say though, Tom. That's sociopathy. That's personality disorder. Personality disorders uh, are not necessarily mental illness. OCD is not a personality disorder. But, you know, I, I don't want to split hairs with you here. Yeah, Alan. we're the splitting hairs here. I mean, I think, we largely I think, agree. I think what you're saying that, is You know, it's just like that the mentally ill are stigmatized all the time. We stigmatize ourselves. I agree. And it's just, it's very hard to bear. And, and like I said, zealotry and hatred, racism, you know, if you're a cop and you're willing to kill black people or eager to kill black people like Derek Chauvin did, um, that's not mental illness. That's evil. Yeah. I, you know, I can't disagree with you on that, Alan. You know, and, and I hope that, you know, if I call somebody crazy or whatever, it doesn't come across as a, as a slur on mentally ill Different people. I try to be conscious. Mentally Ill. Okay. Thank you. Alvin in Martinsburg, West Virginia. Hey, Alvin, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Uh, it's great talking to you. It's first time I've called into your show, and I love your show. Thank you. I share the frustration about Joe Manchin. That wasn't the reason why I called, but it must be said considering where I am. But one of the things I wanted to mention was, you know, I heard Tucker about Tucker Carlson's comment. And it, one, it just made me cringe, but also, you know, I'm an African-American survivor of police brutality, and I've had a number of these false 911 calls made on me. I understand what that's about and the waste of police resources and how things can go very wrong. And Tucker Carlson, you know, he's doing this, and this is just one more example of why we do need legislation that deals with people who abuse 911. 911 is not there to help you out socially because you can't cope, or with, you know, you know, someone of a different race because you can't cope. And that's kind of what this falls into. You know, we've got these names, Karen, Ken's, whatever else, and these names have gone through decade over decade, and now here we are today. And now you got Tucker Carlson trying to line people up to do it even more. Something's wrong. And yeah. that, and, that's and, the kind, and, kind of behavior that needs to be legislated. Yeah, I, I'm completely with you, Alvin. And there are states that have passed you know, laws that make it illegal to abuse 911. But I think there's a larger issue here that nobody in the media is willing to say because it requires a certain logical leap and a certain conclusion of bad faith on Tucker's part that people are unwilling to say. And, and I'm not... I'm going to say it. I'm not going to assert that it's true. I'm not going to assert that I know what's in his heart. But one thing that we know now that we didn't know two months ago is that two months ago, we believed that African-Americans were more likely to be hesitant about getting the the vaccine and, and presumably, therefore, also more hesitant to wear a mask. What we know now is that African-Americans are actually far more likely to get the vaccine and far more likely to use the mask and far more likely to be well informed about the actual dangers and the actual ways to avoid COVID than is the case for white people, particularly rural area white people. And so I think you could build an argument that when Tucker Carlson goes on national TV and says to his almost exclusively white audience, it's time to start calling 911 on people who are wearing masks. He is giving them permission for one more reason, and now, you know, a giant one, to call the cops basically on black people who are wearing masks. What do you think? And that's part of the through line. That, that, that's part of my through line there. You know, yeah. the first time I put a mask on and went into a store, I just stop and think about what I was doing. I don't wear hoodies into stores. I don't carry bags into stores. I don't use those automated checkouts. Now I'm going to wear a mask. And for some, it went very poorly at the very beginning. And so, you know, I I see those through lines, but it's it's just one more reason why we we, we do need some better legislation, you know, federal and, and statewide around some of these behaviors that we clearly see through social media, smartphones now have, you know, surfaced this 
It was always there, but now you can see it and example and what you see there as well. I mean, you make a very good point. It's one more reason for someone who wants to behave that way that they, that they now have in their quiver. You know, right. and they're going to come if someone says, I think it's child abuse. They're going to come. Oh, and then, and then I, you know, having worked in that system, I can tell you that once somebody has even a phone call about child abuse, that doesn't go off their record. It, no conviction, no. right? Uh, and the investigation can clear them. But the second time somebody calls, oh, this person has already had one child abuse report. You know, I mean, that, that kind of stuff lingers and that kind of stuff can lead to your door being kicked in. That kind of stuff can lead to your children being taken away. That stuff can lead to all kinds of God awful stuff. Alvin, I have to move along, but thank you. Thank you for bringing you. it all up and, you know, in a way that we could just clearly talk about it. Thank you. Vincent in uh, Carson City, Nevada. Hey, Vincent, what's on your mind today? Yeah, hi, Tom. Yeah, I was going to call yesterday about uh, your talk there about restaurants, calling restaurants to require a vaccination, basically no mm-hmm. vaccination, no service. That was brilliant. I love that. But I also Thank you. Make some about, phone calls. Yeah. Today, though, there was a guy who objected to Fox and News. I think uh, I agree with him. You should say Fox Noise from now on. Because it's truly noise, and it's white noise, actually. And the white noise is never wanted. They always filter that out because it interferes with the signal. So Fox should but, definitely be filtered out. But to out. your point, Vincent, we have 30 seconds. Yeah. Is yeah that, no, was I, that your I, point? I was just, yeah, I was just going to agree with that guy about Fox no- News. Don't we Fox say noise. Fox noise. <laughs> yeah, I, or like I said, you know, for a decade I've called it Fox so-called news. You know, which I think also makes the point. Vincent, thank you. Thanks for the call. Thanks for listening to us on SiriusXM. We will be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. New CDC guidelines, you can walk around without a mask outdoors. I'm still going to at least keep one down below my chin, and if I get near anybody, I'm going to pull it up. Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and those around you. See you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.